Take a Bible, please, and turn to Romans chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 16 to 19 of Romans 14. Romans 14, 16 says, Let not your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that is in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word today. We do thank you for the opportunity we have to study it together. We thank you that you've given us this precious book. And thank you for the access that we have to it today, that, Lord, we can read it, we can study it. With your help, we can understand it. We do pray that, Father, you guide our time tonight as we open up your word, that we would learn of you and from you. And that, Lord, that you would be exalted as we spend time in your word tonight. Lord, we know that you have a message for us, and we pray that, Lord, we would receive it from your word this night to your glory. Give me wisdom, I pray, as I preach, and uh, guide me to say the words that uh, you would have me to say, and may tonight be a blessing to each and every one, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've seen that, Romans chapter, that in Romans chapter 14, there are two admonitions given to you and I as believers. The first admonition is that we are to receive one another and not to dictate to each other what they should do in the non-essentials. That's to be balanced with the second admonition of Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23, where we're told to edify one another. We said that Paul, in essence, says, love one another, for if we would, then we would seek to edify each other and build each other up in the faith. It's true that it's none of our business what others do in the non-essential areas. But whatever we do, we must be aware of its effects on others. So we're not to judge each other about what other people do in non-essential areas, but we need to be careful how we behave and be aware of the effect it has upon other people when we do what we do. We've seen that on matters of conscience, if there are no direct scriptural commands and no direct scriptural directions, and what we've done, no direct scriptural imperatives, we are to receive the weak and to respect the convictions of others, remembering that the Lord is the judge. And then we're to revise our behavior. We're not to cause others to stumble. And we're to respond to others' weaknesses, according to Romans 14, 15. Now as we continue here in Romans chapter 14, we're told that we are to pursue God's priorities. We're to pursue God's priorities in Romans chapter 14, verses 16 to 19, which you just read. And in these verses, we're given four priorities. And God's first priority for us is for us to have a good and helpful testimony. You and I as believers have a good and helpful testimony. Look what he says in verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. He says, in essence here is this, don't let your good be offensive. The word evil spoken of is the word that's translated blaspheme in other places. 
Don't let your good be blasphemed. In other words, don't let your actions that you do, that you and I do, don't let our actions be misrepresented. Don't let them be misunderstood. We're not to let our actions to become a case for contention or a case for strife with other believers. We're not to let our actions lead others to question our testimony that you and I might even lose our testimony because of the way that we are behaving. Others look upon that as being unchristian, particularly saved, but also the unsaved. The people are looking and observing what we're doing, even though we might have the liberty to do it, and even though it might be okay to do it, and even though as believers there is nothing scripturally that says we shouldn't do it, if that action is causing our a testimony to be effective, that action is causing what we're doing, our good to be evil spoken of, then we ought to consider whether it's worth doing it. Pastor Mitchell in his notes said this, because you might do something that is, in, that is in good conscience, exercising your freedom in Christ, and a weaker brother or an unsaved person will be offended, and your innocent actions will be evil spoken of. Now remember, Paul is speaking of something that is right. He's speaking of those things that in and of themselves are not wrong. In and of themselves it's right. In and of themselves it's okay. Now specifically, he's talking about something that is good for the stronger brother to be able to do. He's saying that those who are strong, these things that stronger brother can do without it affecting their conscience whatsoever. The strong believer can eat meats that have been offered to idols. And the strong believer no longer needs to observe special religious days. And as we said last week, the reason for that is because they know they don't affect their sanctification. They know they don't affect their relationship with the Lord. But in these matters, it may well be that some others do struggle in these areas. And so our good now is evil spoken of. Our good is misunderstood. Instead of them seeing as a strong believer who has no struggle in eating the meat or going and not uh, celebrating certain days, they see it as a, a sign that we are not living for the Lord and it becomes an obstacle to them being ministered to by us, becomes an obstacle to them even listening to the gospel if they're unsaved. Martin Jones put it this way, Paul does not confine his argument only to the rules about food and holy days, he is making a comprehensive statement with regard to anything in the Christian life and in connection with the Christian teaching about which we have been enlightened and understand to be good. If it seems good to us, then it is good. And we must never allow what we do to be spoken of in an evil manner. And so it may be true that what we do is good and even itself, in and of itself it is good. But we need to be careful that what we do does not be misconstrued and misunderstood by other people. The point is this, just because we have the liberty to do something doesn't mean that we always should do it. We need to consider how it affects others. What impact are we having upon other people by what we do? How is it affecting our testimony? Because if our testimony has been affected by it, and if, if what we're doing is having an adverse impact upon others, then our evil may well be, our good may well be evil spoken of. 
and we need to be careful. Now Paul is referring to actions that, though good in themselves, that even may be good for us, but will cause others to stumble, will cause others harm, that will lead to others to say that maybe you and I are guilty of sin and wrongdoing. Just because an action is not bad, or just because an action may not be evil in itself, just because an action may well be good in itself, there's no reason for saying that it's always right for us to do it. That's Paul's point here in verse 16. Martin Jones goes on and he points out this. He says, the danger, and the devil always encourages it, is that the stronger brother will say this whole matter is quite ridiculous. There's nothing wrong with this at all, all of this. And if there's nothing wrong, am I to be held back by these stupid people? And he will then feel that he has a right to ignore these particular rules. But the apostle says you must not do that. You must not act simply for yourself in, the, in this intensely personal manner. You must bring in these further considerations. If you go ahead, you will cause talk of, and gossip and scandal and your, fellowship, and your fellow members of the church will say, look at him. He's not living the true Christian life. He's guilty of license. In other words, because of your actions, confusion will be introduced. And something that is excellent and right in itself will become the means of harm, not only to the weaker brother, but to the whole church, to the cause of our blessed Lord and Savior. You see, you and I may well think that somebody's been ridiculous, being offended by what we're doing, somebody's been ridiculous by being upset by what we're doing, somebody's been ridiculous by thinking that what we're doing is even sinful. But does it, it, what we need to consider is how important is it that we do this at the cost of somebody else's faith, somebody else's struggle? We need to consider the other believer. Simply put, it's wrong for us to dig in our heels and say, I'll do whatever I like no matter how it affects others. As believers, as members of the family of God, as members of of God's people, we need to consider one another. For if what we do endangers others, for what, if what we do will bring reproach upon the name of Christ, if what we do will cause others to question what we're doing, then we will lose our effectiveness for the Lord. And what the Lord wants for you and I, He wants you and I to have a good and helpful testimony. He wants to ensure that whatever we do brings glory to him, that whatever we do is a means of having a good testimony before all men, before the, uns before the saved and before the unsaved. So we need to check that our behavior is having the desired effect. It's not hindering the cause of Christ, not hindering our effectiveness to serve the Lord. And it's not getting in the way of you, doing, you and I doing good for righteousness' sake so that our good is not evil spoken of. God's second priority for us is that we serve Christ with righteousness, peace, and joy. Look in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're to serve Christ with righteousness, peace, and joy. You know, you and I should be more concerned about the internal 
than the external one, is what he's trying to say. You see, you and I should be as concerned with the, in, with the external, and rather we should be concerned about our internal, because that affects the way that we live. And not just think of the external. You and I are to be concerned with righteousness and peace and joy. The priorities in our life ought to be that we're living righteously. That you and I are living peaceably. That you and I are living joyfully. That you and I are having a testimony that brings glory to God. What matters is what's in our hearts. 1 Corinthians 8.8 says, But meat commendeth us not to God. Neither if we eat are we better, neither if we eat not are we worse. Eating or not eating doesn't commend us to God. Not eating meat doesn't make us a better Christian, or eating meat doesn't make us a better Christian. Keeping holy days doesn't make us a better Christian, or not keeping holy days doesn't make us a better Christian. Do, not doing this or doing this doesn't make us a better Christian. In these non-essential matters, they do not add to our sanctification. They do not add to our ability to be effective for Christ. What makes the difference to you and I, what makes the difference to our testimony, what makes the difference to God is what's going on inside of us. Not the externals, but what's happening in our heart. Because eating and drinking, or not eating and drinking, doesn't make us more godly. It doesn't make us more holy. Each and every one of us should yield to the Holy Spirit and major on a godly life. Not on the non-essentials. We're not to demand our right to do something, but we're to seek to live godly lives. And here Paul gives a spiritual appeal. He says this, he says in verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. These things, meat and holy days, what he's saying should not matter. They're not that important. That's not what the kingdom of God is made up of. And therefore, because they should not matter, because that's not what the kingdom of God is made up of, they're not worth causing contention over. They're not worth fighting over. They're not worth bringing reproach over. They're not worth causing division over. They're not worth causing somebody to stumble over. They're not worth it. Because that's not what the kingdom of God is. It's not meat and it's not uh, drink. And therefore, if you and I place food and we place drink before righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we're hopelessly out of touch with God's priorities and God's heart. I mean, God doesn't care whether or not about the meat. He doesn't care about the drink. He doesn't care about, uh, you know, these different things. I'm not talking alcohol here, by the way. Okay. Uh, he doesn't care about these things. What he cares about is our heart. What we are spiritually. That's what the Lord is looking at. He's looking at our hearts. We shouldn't worry about fighting for the right to eat and drink. Because the kingdom of God is about righteousness, about peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is not about our rights. It's about us serving the Lord. It's not about our rights. It's about relationship with God. 
someone who is strong in the faith should respond by acting righteously toward others, seeking to bring about peace and joy. Somebody said to act in love, even against knowledge, is the right way for the strong in faith. And notice it says, the kingdom of God is not a list of external rules. Somebody said, the essence of the Christian life is not about arguing about those non-essential things. Christian life is not about a list of external rules. That's what we would call legalism. It's not about a list of external rules. The essence about the Christian life is about knowing Christ. Go with me to Philippians chapter 3, if you would, please. In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul picks up this whole thing about what the Christian life is all about. And Paul talks about the things that he gives up. He talks about counting all things but loss for the excellency of Christ. Look at verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, the fellow of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. That's the Christian life. That's what it means to be a believer. It's about counting all things but loss that we may gain, the, the, may gain Christ for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ so that you and I might be found in him having not our own righteousness but having his righteousness. That we might know him and that we might know the power of his resurrection. That's what the Christian life's all about. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's not about a list of externals. It's about a relationship that you and I have in our hearts with the Lord Jesus Christ. Religion, which is man's effort to try and become acceptable to God, says that we do it by way of actions, by the way we act. Religion is what he's talking about here, is the opposite to what he's talking about here. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, religion says to become acceptable to God, you have to keep a list of external rules. If you do this and don't do this, then you'll be accepted by the Lord. God is not looking for religion. He wants us to know him. One commentator said this, I look around and see some people in religion whether it's the Catholic religion or the Baptist religion or the Methodist religion, can I say very clearly, there are not going to be any Catholics in heaven and there are not going to be any Baptists in heaven. There ain't going to be any Presbyterians in heaven. The only people who are going to be in heaven are those who are born again who have a relationship with Christ. It's not about religion. It's not about rituals. It's not about externals. It's not about whether we eat meat or don't eat meat, whether we have a holy day or don't keep a holy day. It's not about those things. What it's about is about a relation to Christ. It starts with salvation. It starts by acknowledging we're sinners before a holy God and accepting Christ as Savior, and then it follows on that you and I are sanctified. 
The kingdom of God is not about rules. The kingdom of God is a life in subjection to a ruler. The kingdom of God is about a relationship. Remember what it says in Rome in 1 Corinthians 8 8? But meat commandeth us not to God. For neither if we eat, are we the better? Neither if we eat not, are we the worse? Meat's got nothing to do with it. What it is is about a relationship. It's true that the believer's life lived in relationship to Jesus involves both changing character and a changing conduct. But it's not about a list of rules. Because when you and I get saved, what happens is our character is changed on the inside. You and I become new creatures in Christ. You and I are born again. You and I have a new nature. You and I have been revived. We've been quickened. We've been made alive in Christ. You and I have been changed on the inside and then through the power of the Spirit, we start changing in our conduct. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. As you and I walk in the Spirit, then you and I are changed from glory to glory, as 1 Corinthians 3.18 tells us, from glory to glory in the image of Christ. Now, religion changes this and gets it backwards. Religion starts on the outside and wants to work in. Religion says change the way you act first and then you'll be acceptable to God. Christianity says you come to God as a sinner. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation and then he starts changing you from the inside out. Christianity starts on the inside and works its way out. Philippians 2.12 says, Wherefore, my beloved... As you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's to be an outworking of the inward relationship. It's not about rules. It's not about do's and don'ts. That's why those things don't matter. What matters is my heart, my relationship with the Lord. And that will change my behavior. As I said, if we place food and drink before righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, then we're hopelessly out of touch with God's priorities and God's heart. If you and I start to focus on what we can and cannot do as believers and fail to focus on what we ought to be in Christ, then you and I are not really in touch with what the Lord wants for us. A godly life is far more important than defending our right to eat meat and not to keep certain feast days. God's third priority for us is to live lives that are pleasing to God and righteous before others. Look in verse 18. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. He tells us here that serving God with a heart for righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost is the kind of service that's acceptable to God. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God. 
It's these things that makes us acceptable to God. It's not abstaining from meat and abstaining from holidays or partaking in meat or partaking in holidays. Those things don't make us acceptable to God. These non-essentials, these things that are not recorded in God's word as being right or wrong, are not important to God. What matters to God is righteousness and peace and joy. And if we live a life for Christ, it will be approved of God, and it also says, and approved of men, acceptable to God and approved of men. What he's saying is this, if you and I live a life that is in right relationship to God, then you and I will have a good testimony. It'll be pleasing to God and righteous before others. What people will see is Christ and us, the hope of glory. What they will see is you and I having an outworking of our salvation. Because you and I are walking in relation to the Lord. Pastor Mitchell said in Romans 14, 18, he shows that for those strong in the faith to respond to others' weaknesses by a restriction in their own behavior is a spiritual service and such as acceptable to God and approved of men. And that's what you and I should aim for in these matters of conscience. You and I should be aiming for a life that brings glory to God, that gives us a good testimony before men. As Paul said in Acts 24:16, I here and do exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and men. You and I need to make sure we have a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. Do we have a heart relationship with the Lord that is affecting the way that you and I live? When we revise our behavior to respond to the weaknesses of others, then you and I won't eat meat when it will offend and we won't abuse the day when it might be judged. That is a service to God. That's what promotes righteousness and peace and joy. God's priority for us is for us to have a good testimony before others, before both the saved and the unsaved. And the way to do that is to make sure that our heart is where it ought to be with the Lord. Our relationship is right. That you and I have a heart for God. Because that will determine how you and I live. It will determine what you and I do. It will determine how you and I respond to other believers who may be weaker than us, who are struggling in an area and find it very hard that we can do it and they can't. Because what we'll want is a Christ-like spirit. We want to respond to them the right way so that we're acceptable to God and approved of men. God's fourth priority for us is for us to be peacemakers. Look in verse 19. Let us therefore fall after the things that which make for peace, things wherewith one may edify another. We're to follow after the things that make for peace and that edify. One commentator said, since the kingdom of God is in part peace, and the man that serves Christ in this 
as in other things, is accepted with God and grateful to men. The apostle very pertinently exhorts to seek after such things which make for peace, not with God, but peace with others. We're to seek peace with others. As much as lieth in us, we should live peaceably with all men. In verse 19 here, the phrase follow after means to pursue. You and I are to pursue those things that produce peace. We're not to stick in our heels and demand that it's our right. We have, we have every right to be able to do this because there's nothing wrong with what we're doing. You and I ought to be seeking peace, following after it, pursuing it. The phrase, the things of peace, literally means the things of edification for one another. We're to be, seek to build up each other. Pastor Mitchell puts it this way. He says, Paul exhorts the Romans who are strong, let's not stand for our rights at the expense of peace. Let's not stand for our freedoms at the expense of causing weak one to stumble. We should be less concerned about our rights and more concerned about edification. You see, the Apostle Paul's point here in Romans 14 is that the strong and the weak both need to grow. The strong needs to grow in love and the weak in knowledge. As the weak grows in knowledge, they won't struggle with those things that are non-essential. And as the strong believer grows in love, he will show that love towards the weaker brother and won't dig in his heels and demand his rights at the expense of a brother stumbling. Barnes and his commentator, commentator explains it this way, the high purposes and objects of the Christian religion and not those smaller matters which produce strife are in view here. If men aim at the great objects proposed by the Christian religion, they will live in peace. If they seek to promote their private ends, to follow their own passions and prejudices, they will be involved in strife and contention. Therefore, we're to follow afterward, pursue peace. But here's what he says. He says, pursue or follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. We're to pursue, we're to follow after those things that edify. Now the word edify means to build up. And we as believers, the thing that we ought to be passionate about, as far as each other's concerned is, you and I ought to be seeking to do everything we can to build up another believer, to edify them to help them to grow stronger in the faith and in the Lord. We're to be encouraging each other. We're to be building each other up. We're to be helping each other. 1 Corinthians 10.23 says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. If what we're doing doesn't edify somebody, but cause them to stumble, then you and I ought to rethink what we're doing in order that we might edify them, we might build them up in the faith. One preacher said, For love edifies not by bare words, but by loving in deed and in truth, by serving one another in love, and also by laying aside the use of the things indifferent, when disagreeable to any of the brethren. For though all things may be lawful to be done by us, yet all things do not edify the brethren. And the things which make for the edification of the body as well as our own, are diligently to be sought after. 
just because something is permitted does not mean it's beneficial. And you and I are to follow after those things which aid or render help to our brethren. We're to pursue the doctrines, the exhortations, the counsels, and any other help we can think of that is beneficial for the Christian life. We'll seek to be a blessing to others. We must do all that we can to help each other grow and seek to build, build each other in the faith through love. Gusick made this comment. He said, my own rights are what I know to be permitted for myself and not the standards by which I judge my behavior. I must consider what is the loving thing to do towards my brothers and sisters in Jesus. See, what we're to do is we're to pursue God's priorities as believers. Not our individual choices, not, our, not those things that we can and cannot do. We're to pursue God's priorities in our life. And as we get it all bent in shape, we're more concerned about what we can and cannot do and what we want to do than we are about what God wants for us. It's his priorities that sure to govern our lives. It's his desire for us to have a godly testimony. It's his desire for us to live in righteousness and peace and joy. It's his desire for us to have a relationship with him so that we might be acceptable by God and we might be acceptable by man. It's his, his desire for us that you and I would live peaceably, that you and I would do everything we could to promote the cause of Christ. And therefore, beloved, the challenge to you and I from these, four, these verses 16 to 19 is that you and I need to consider one another and seek to build up one another in the faith that we might indeed bring glory to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you, Father God, for Romans and its teaching with regards to our behavior, the behavior of the strong and the behavior of the weak. And ultimately, Father God, it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about a list of do's and don'ts. Because the kingdom of heaven is not about meats and holy days. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Lord God, help us to have that relationship daily with you. That we might, therefore, work out our own salvation with meekness and fear. That Father, people might see Christ in us, the hope of glory, and that we might act Christ-like to each other for your glory that the world might see what it is to be a child of the King and they might be drawn unto you by the testimony that we have before them. We commend your word to our hearts this night, we pray. In Jesus' name.